Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. everybody i've got a great show lined up for you this week i've got my co-host let me just call him that we're no longer testing him out my co-host chef tom lafauci is here we've got some great topics to talk about including the fact that uh oh the pizza guy is here Drew, what's up, man? Hey, Stu, got your pizza here. All right, man. It's a uh, happy new year for happy one new thing. Happy new year as well. And this is our first pizza of the year. First pizza of the year, man. Specialty pie from Asheville Pizza South. Yes. And uh, just to catch people up, Drew brings me a pie once a month. It's always awesome and delicious. And uh, Drew, what do we have this month? Well, this month we got the New York chopped cheese pizza. Um, it's uh, basically a chopped cheese sandwich on a pizza, which chopped cheese is kind of like a, it's like a, hamburger sandwich kind of right <laughs> uh, chopped cheese to me is like a a hamburger or a cheeseburger cheese steak, meets right. a cheesesteak yeah it's sure. like you put the patty on the grill right you chop it all up you mix in the peppers and the onions right. yeah. and then you put it on a hoagie roll usually with some cheese yeah 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 and some uh sometimes ketchup yeah ketchup yeah yeah, yeah. we um so this one we have a everything bagel crust just because it's like new york pizza. new york yeah. <laughs> um and it's delicious. Uh, and then um, we made a, um, it's like a mayonnaise, ketchup, and a little hot sauce for the base. Uh, mm. Then I um, did the chopped cheese with beef, you know, beef with uh, some American cheese. Uh, cooked that down with some onions. Uh, throw it on the pizza. Throw some more slices of American cheese, a little mozzarella. Uh, cook it. And then uh, get uh, some shredded iceberg and uh, tomatoes, diced tomatoes. Uh, and that's it, man. It's delicious. Sounds freaking perfect, man. Yeah, Sounds yeah. like awesome. Yeah. Um, looks great. I Thank can't you. wait to tuck in, brother. Yeah. And uh, what's new in the pizza world? What do you? What's you? Let's do New Year stuff. What sure. are you? What are you predicting? Let's do Ooh, predictions, okay. Drew. All right. What's going to be the trend in pizza this year? Oh man, I, I hope it's just weird, cool pizzas. You okay. Know, you hope it, other people it, start doing? Yeah. It? You know, I wish they would. Uh, and people are doing it. I feel like people are really starting to do it, but. Uh, you know, everybody's just kind of stuck to their their thing forever, and you know they, you know, there's places that nail it, and there's nothing wrong with not changing. But it's like, I don't know, try something new. Try yeah. something new. Try okay. something new. Yeah. yeah, I think that that was your advice for young pizza makers. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that really sums you up pretty well, right. Drew. Yeah. You yeah. like to try new things yeah. at least once a month with these Pizza yeah. of the Month yeah. awards. Yeah, yeah, I think we're or, um, not awards. Pizza, pizza of the Month right. specials. Yeah, we're um, we're thinking about next month and i i'm kind of debating between two different ideas uh one is uh you, you know what duxel is it's a uh, no it's like um it's a french mushroom dish basically you like cook it down with mushrooms with a bunch of you know uh seasonings and stuff um, uh-huh. cook it down to like almost like a paste kind of use that as a base and just keep it simple from there but like Sounds a french kind of thing 
Um, the other one is uh, like some uh, some sort of Mexican pizza for sure. This uh, you ever been to Ole Guacamole? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. But, yeah, yeah, it is great. great. Um, they have this salsa, and I like. It. I, I need to figure out what's in it. I don't know. It looks like a chili oil kind of thing. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? All right. Yeah. 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 It, but it's like it tastes like you know Mexican salsa kind of. So yeah. I'm like, it's not like an Asian chili oil for sure. Um, but like try to try to nail that down. Do okay. it like a, a tahini crust uh we we've done that and it was really good okay Probably some beans in there i don't know but uh, other than that i don't really want to mess with that so that's okay. that's my french and mexican. mexican yeah yeah that's what we might have to look forward to in <laughs> yeah. february yeah 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 a- andrew i accidentally said that these were your pizza of the month awards and i want to tell you that i'm working on my oh, stubby awards yeah. right now oh, cool. and you're about to win my pizza oh, of the year gosh. award for the second Whoa. year in a row is it the Bang and Penang? The all of it. Okay. For the pizza of the month. <laughs> okay. Yep. Cool, man. But the Bang and Penang yeah. is definitely at the top. And there okay. was one that was you said it was your favorite, it was also my favorite, the Korean. Korean. Oh, the, the Korean. Bulgogi? No, yeah. no. Was it Bul- okay, yeah, the Bulgogi. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. that was those were super delicious. So <laughs> congrats on that, Thank brother. Thank you so much, man. I don't I, usually I, give I, the oh same place uh, yeah. two in a row. Well, we, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you, you know, trying us out all the time, man. Uh, yeah, it's it's a cool opportunity to, like, you know, the food fan, man. You're the food fan. I man. am. Yeah, I am a like, huge yeah, fan of these pizzas. You're like a fan of my pizza, man. I'm That's a huge like, fan, yeah, Drew. You, so you made me a fan. <laughs> like, yeah. your pizza won, I always bring this up, yeah, but you won fight, the man. 2022 pizza yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And pizza then fight. you got my 2022 Pizza of the Year award yeah. and now this. And uh, every pie you've ever brought me has been awesome. Your creativity just can't be beat. Your enthusiasm can't be beat. And you're the consummate pizza, mad pizza genius chef. Pizza genius. I'll take it, man. All right. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, brother. Well, I can't wait to t- tuck into this chopped yes, cheese. Hope you enjoy it, man. Have a good day. You too. Take care. See Bye-bye. All right, folks, I want to tell you that pizza that Drew just brought me was awesome. And by just brought me, I mean, he brought me that like a week ago and I'm recording this right now. But I recorded that little segment with him when he brought it to me on Saturday. And he's been bringing me them pizzas for over a year. And I got to say, he has really impressed me. I didn't think I would like all of the pies as much as I do. And as he and I said, when we talked that he did this bulgogi beef one, that was just fantastically awesome, but they're all great. So check them out, Asheville pizza South. Um, And now I just want to talk about lately. I've been popping into farewell coffee on the bottom of the South slope. And uh, it's on my way home from work. I often want a cup of coffee at night when I get off work, kind of, wake me up and invigorate me for having a good time at home after work. And uh, I, usually I just make it at home, right? But lately I've noticed Farewell's been open. They're open till 10, I think, something like that. So I've been going in to get a cappuccino and I couldn't help but notice they also serve ramen. And after food tour, I'm usually not hungry because even though I don't eat at every stop, even if I eat at like two of the stops, I'm going to be pretty full. And uh, But the other day, I purposely waited to eat so that I could try the ramen. And here's the thing. Farewell ca- Coffee, the coffee shop, sort of closes and then reopens as Nightcrawler. Same space, 
same setup, same everything. Little shift in the crew there. I think there's a couple that might overlap. But um and and at night they serve they kind of push the wine and the beer and such like that and they have some ramen and the lights go low I love it it's one of my favorite atmospheres in Asheville and I just and, and I tried this ramen and you kind of pick the broth and you can get it with it comes with an egg and all of that stuff and let me just cut to the chase it was freaking great it was awesome great ramen i'm gonna get it again and again every chance i can and i know that just by telling people about it i'm making it harder and harder for me to get this ramen in the future as they become busier and busier but uh i can't i can't keep a secret when there's good food and this ramen is real good so i real recommend it to you so go get that and y'all, I just wanted to talk a little bit about complaining because I have taken a, a vow, probably not that serious. I, I, I'm trying not to complain as much is basically it. And I'm having a little bit of a conundrum where I like to go on TikTok and complain about stuff. It's the one social for, uh, media format that I allow myself to just complain. I also allow myself to swear a lot on TikTok, so I just kind of cut loose. And part, partly it's because I don't have very many followers on TikTok, so I don't really have to worry about what I say too much. Um, but I'm trying not to complain, so I'm trying to make TikTok videos that don't complain as much. But in that same token, I... Um, I just want to tell you that I get a little tired of people complaining about the price of things, not because things are not expensive, which they are, but people often will sort of complain about the price of something they haven't eaten yet. That's it. That's the bottom line. I, I, I kind of want to say a new rule on my web, on my social media pages might be, you're not allowed to complain about the price of something until you've eaten it, because I just don't think you can really judge whether or not something was worth what you paid for it until you've eaten it. So you might say to yourself, oh my God, a $20 hamburger, that's outrageous. But if you have eaten it, you might literally say, oh my God, I'd pay 25 bucks for that hamburger. Um, so you just don't know. And I, I was raised, and this is probably like a New England thing. I don't know. Or maybe, I, I don't know, maybe just my family. But we, in my family, we don't really talk about the price of things. And it's not because we don't have to think about the price of things. It's not like we don't have to worry about the price of things. We just, I don't know, I was raised to think it was kind of tacky to talk about the price of things. So you might notice I almost never put the price of the food that I'm eating on the posts that I make. If I can remember to, I'll take a picture of the menu and I'll post that so that you can see the price for yourself. Uh, one of the reasons I don't post the prices of the food is because prices change all the time. So there's kind of no point in me telling you how much a, a food item costs me. If it's going to cost you more the next time, you're going to be like, I don't know, mad at me about it or something. Um, and so the other reason is I just kind of think it's tacky to talk about prices. But I do post the menus, and that's when some people will say, oh, my God, this place is so expensive. And that might be true. It might be high-priced, but it might be totally worth it. So don't knock it till you try it, I guess, is the cliche I'm looking for right here. And if you want cheap food in this world, there's plenty of it. There's lots of cheap food all up and down Merriman Ave, all up and down Tunnel Road. Yes, they're national chains, but 
that's what the food, the cheap food comes from the national chains for the most part. There are some affordable independently owned restaurants around here for sure. A lot of the Mexican restaurants are both independently owned and affordable. And so you can find affordable food in restaurants, but also keep in mind that going out to eat is really a privilege. And not only is it the price of the food that you're paying for, but of course it's the labor and and the overhead and all of that. So downtown prices are going to be a little higher because overhead is higher. And out in a smaller town, Brevard or uh, I don't know, Weaverville or Waynesville or whatever, uh, the, the rent is just going to be cheaper. And so maybe the food will be cheaper too. So, you know, uh, I'm trying not to complain so much and I would like to, you know, spread that around and maybe ask everybody else to not complain as much either but I, I really can't tell you or even ask you what to do as they say you do you oh yeah so many cliches in this one all right well i got my new co-host chef tom coming up so let's stop this nonsense take a little break and we'll come back with chef tom lafauci from twisted laurels downtown Asheville, my brand spanking new host All right, everybody. I'm here in the studio with my good friend and my co-host, Chef Tom LaFauci. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Hello, sir. How are you today? I am good. And did you notice I just called you my co-host? Yeah, I know. I'm kind of honored. We're kind of a thing now. So We are. We've been dating for three weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, no. So I decided what the hell. I don't I look no further. I have this guy who's willing to do it with me, who's great addition to the show and is a chef, which is something I really wanted. And my the other guy I tested was Jeff Anderson, and he was great, Tom, but uh, he was not all that different than me in terms of he was an eater more than anything else. And I need somebody who's a chef not only to correct me when I when I say things like schnitzel and I mean spätzle, but also to be here with some recipes for us and such. And we're going to get to that later tonight, later on nice. in the podcast. Um, I've got a bunch of topics, Tom, for our podcast. But right now, uh, before any of that, I just have two words I want to say to you, Tom. And you know which two I'm about to say. <laughs> that gumbo. Well, that gumbo. Tell tell the people what I mean when I say that gumbo. So Saturday, so it was this past Saturday, um, it was really cold. Um, and we had had a very slow night before, a uh, very slow couple of shifts before. So we didn't, really didn't have a ton of prep to do. Um so I was like, you know what? It's cold outside. My staff's here. Hey, I just, I was thinking of something to make for kind of staff meal that everybody could eat that would warm everybody up and kind of get them going. So one of my go-tos is, uh, I was, I make, I make gumbo every once in a while. My wife loves it. My kids love it. Um, which, and it was really kind of the first dish outside of like, you know, chicken fingers and waffles that my kids really kind of jumped to that I, I could make as more of a, a chefy type thing. <clears throat> And that my kids like. They actually ask for it now, especially when it gets cold, um, which makes me happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my so, god. So you know, we, we we I made a pot of gumbo, and it wasn't crazy. We didn't do any super outrageous ingredients. It was just chicken and sausage. Um, we used we had some andouille sausage here, so we had, um, we just made chicken and sausage gumbo, and I cooked up some rice and had bowls of gumbo sitting, and uh, 
it seemed to work out okay. <laughs> it worked out real okay. Let me tell you, folks. Uh, in On this day, last Saturday, I had a food tour, a private tour of just four people, uh, four locals. And it was 18 degrees out when our tour started. And these that are walking. The that was the high, wasn't it? That was the high of the day was 18. And we started right at the high point of the temperature. It was 13 degrees by the end of the tour. And these are walking tours, by the way. And we don't get in a van or anything like that. And it was by the time I got home, Tom, it, and I walk home, it was 11 degrees. So it was cold. And that gumbo hit the spot like, man, my patrons, my four patrons, they wolfed it down. And you gave us a nice portion. Uh, it wasn't just a food tour portion. It was a pretty nice portion. They wolfed it down. I wolfed mine down. I think I just stared at you with my eyes all wide while I was eating mine. <laughs> But here's the thing, uh, Tom, there there were no okra in this gumbo. And uh, in my research, it's, it's the middle of January. I didn't have gumbo. I didn't have okra around. Okay. But here's the I'm, thing. I'm, now I, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead and say. <laughs> the word gumbo comes from the West African word. I think it's pronounced mgambo. And the word mgambo means okra. Tom. So you made okra, you made gumbo without gumbo. Now, how are you going to explain that to everybody in Louisiana, not to mention everybody in West Africa? Well, I'm sorry. No, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to explain yourself. <laughs> because actually, I didn't miss the okra one bit. I didn't grow up eating okra. It's not my favorite. I have to admit that. And the patrons didn't miss it at all, Tom. So... Call it what you will. We'll call it gumbo. We'll Sans okra. <laughs> Just call it soup, soup or a stew. <laughs> it was, uh, but how did you make it so dank? You actually explained it to the crowd uh, or the crowd. There was four people, um, but the sauce uh, was very dark. Uh, and how do you, and you explained that. So tell us all. Roux. Yeah. Roux. R-O-U-X. Uh, equal okay. parts by weight of flour and butter. Uh, melt the butter work the stir in the flour and then about a medium heat just continue to stir it and cook it i cooked that roux for 25 minutes 30 minutes before anything else went in the pot and all you're doing is just all you're doing is just cooking the flour and getting flavor out of the flour obviously roux is is classic uh for thickening sauces um, if you cook it just for a couple of minutes, you can use it to, you know, thicken like cream sauce or cheese sauce or something. Mm -hmm. um, but when you cook it in a in sort of a, a, a Cajun or a Louisiana style and you, you cook it, you, it deepens the flavor. Um, you don't want to take it. You want to take it to what they call a chocolate roux. So it has like the color of like milk chocolate or dark chocolate. You don't yeah. want to take it all the way till it's burnt um, because it is going to continue to cook. Um, so you take it about 90% of the way before it actually burns. And then you start putting everything on top of it and building on top of it. So that's the the base for for any good gumbo, whether it has okra or not, um, is going to be, did you, how's your roux? Did you mm -hmm. cook your roux correctly? Um, you can, if you screw up your roux, it doesn't really matter. It's just going to be like a thick and soup. Yeah. You know, so, but that's and where I that depth of flavor comes in. And it was very deep and dank and delicious. And calling it chocolate roux is just like, I don't know, two of the best words on the world language put together. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, and I did read, I did my little research. This is how I found out about Ngambo, Tom. It's not like I know these things. Like, I, I don't know nothing. I looked stuff up. I almost dropped an S-bomb right there. I look things up, and I find things out. And the the okra was initially introduced to the gumbo as a thickening agent. So I would imagine the addition of the roux kind of takes some of the need of the okra in there. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it probably does. I mean, I've I've made I've made gumbo with okra. I've made gumbo without okra. The the, the primary thickening agent in that dish is the roux, um, and and really is the ratio between how much roux you're using and how much liquid you're using. If you have a roux and you use very little liquid, it's going to be very thick. If you have too much liquid, it's going to be very thin. The okra will have a little bit of a thickening agent in it as well. Um, if you've eaten okra that isn't isn't cooked properly or it's cooked different they had that sort of slimy texture that's what kind of works in and makes the and and kind of helps thicken the thicken the, the sauce so well you just sort of identified the thing that so many people including myself don't really love about okra when it has a slimy quality to it um now how do you get rid of that? I have had okra that was cooked in certain ways, I, which I have no idea, that even on the menu, it, it sort of bragged about the fact that it weren't going to be slimy. Um, so how would you, how do you counteract that slime factor from okra, Tom? You know, for me, I I don't eat okra that often. Um, I Typically, when I do, it's typically fried. And if you fry something, usually you can kind of get rid of it and any of that texture. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, don't, don't, I mean, if you're going to use okra, find fresh okra, you know, only, only use okra when it's fresh and use it in the, the correct way, you know, take care of it. Don't use frozen okra because otherwise it'll just be a, a ball of snot and that's not okay. what you necessarily want. No, um, no, I don't think so, Chef. You know, unless it's, uh, unless it's at my restaurant, which is called Puke and then yeah, ball of snot. Well, then is, that's, 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 that's on the menu. Yeah. Ball of snot is one of our starters. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's interesting. So the frozen okra you're saying is going to be slimier or it's just going to be harder it, to cook properly. In my experience, it seems to be a little more slimy. Okay. Fresh okra only or no okra. And you can still make a wonderful gumbo that these people on the food tour said was the best gumbo they had ever had. And they were great eaters, Tom. Uh, you came out and talked to them. So you got to meet them and see the enthusiasm in their eyes as they were eating your gumbo. I mean, one guy was sort of a master of the deadpan. He actually had a really good sense of humor, but he didn't emote at all. Uh, but the other three were very enthused. Um, and he loved it. You know, it was the first bite on the tour that he really crushed. He was a little finicky. Um, well, finicky, probably the wrong word. He was, he was pulling, he was choosing his his bites along the way because there was he was, a, he was he was pacing himself yes there was an a you know what load of food on that tour man people were moaning and groaning tom the next day i had a tour of just three people none of them had purchased their own tickets they were all gift tickets two of them were together one of them was by themselves the two who were together had no idea they were coming on a food tour like the gift giver kept it a secret Guess what they did before the food tour, Tom? They had lunch. Yep. My God, they were dying by the. They were probably miserable by the end. They were. They were troopers, and I kept telling them, you know, you can take a bite, and you know, I know what's up. 
you don't have to do this to yourselves if you don't want to. But the food is really good, you know, so they kind of can't stop. And uh, yeah, they were they were quite full by the end of the tour. And that for me is a mission accomplished. Although pro tip for anybody who buys a food tour ticket as a gift, you don't have to tell your friend or family member that you got them a food tour ticket. Just tell them not to eat. Don't eat before this thing, before this surprise. And then they'll assume it's a restaurant. And then when they find out it's a food tour, they'll be psyched. All right, Tommy, that's enough about that. Your gumbo was crushing it. But let's uh and and speaking of Rue, this is a, the next thing I wanted to move on to was um was your Rue and your basic recipe for Rue and your advice about it made me think get kind of nostalgic about when I was a kid and my mom taught me how to cook and I used to love to learn how to make little things in the kitchen when I was a kid and I think I was actually in my young teens when she taught me how to make a cheese sauce and. Uh, she just taught me pretty much you got to stand there the whole time and uh which is the secret to a good cheese sauce secrets revealed ladies and gentlemen uh but she also told me and my mom has a good sense of humor she told me you'll never be lonely again if you know how to make a good cheese sauce <laughs> she's not wrong no tom i haven't been lonely ever since um and i would imagine that you a bona fide saucier that you not only because i you work 24 7 in a kitchen and then you have like a fairly large family for the other 24 seven of, of your 48 hour uh, day. <laughs> and uh, that you have never been alone. <laughs> I'm always around somebody. Yeah. Uh, but Tom, I want to start a new segment and you know how good I am at naming these segments. So maybe you can come up with a different name, but this one I want to call chef Tom fights global, the global loneliness epidemic by teaching the world how to make various sauces. That's a lot of words. It's That's a, a long title. Words. It's very explanatory. We need to workshop that. Let's, let's workshop a little bit. That. Yeah. How about how about Tom's sauces <laughs> save the world? Um, well, Tom, I kind of wanted to start fighting global loneliness. Uh, and, and I did hear somewhere on the P PBS or something like that, that loneliness is a global epidemic. Like more people say they're lonely now than ever. Uh, so let's teach these MFers how to make some sauce and see if we can't bring them together. And let's start with a good cheese sauce, Tom. I kind of gave up the secret, but walk us through ingredients, measurements. Let's teach the listeners. And it's I know it's difficult to do just with words and not like writing things down, but people can take notes, grab a pen, press pause if you're listening to the podcast. Um, let go of the steering wheel and scramble for a pencil if you're driving home and listening on the radio. Just kidding. Don't do that. Keep driving. But now, Tom, give us your recipe for an awesome cheese sauce. So a cheese sauce, if, if you think about it with classical French cooking, a cheese sauce is, you can consider it what's called a Mornay. Um, and a Mornay is sort of a, a, an offshoot or a derivative of one of the five French mother sauces, uh, which is bechamel. Uh, so bechamel classically is equal parts of uh, butter and flour by weight. Um, and then you add milk and then salt and typically nut, a little bit of nutmeg. And that's sort of the classic standard bechamel. And it's called a mother sauce for the reason is you can take that base sauce and go in a thousand different directions and make different things with it. Um, and one of them being a cheese sauce. Um, so yeah, equal parts of flour uh, and uh, butter by weight. 
Um, so typically for me, it's, you know, if you just a single batch is one pound of flour, one pound of butter, you melt the, the butter. Once it's completely melted, but it hasn't started to turn color, uh, you'll whisk in the flour. This is all done, on, you're gonna put a pot on medium heat so it's nice and controlled. Um, and you're gonna wanna cook that mixture you know, stirring pretty often for probably about five minutes or so, just to kind of cook the rawness out of the flour. Um, we're going to slowly add the milk uh, into that. And I mean, so if you've got a gallon, you're probably going to want to add about a quarter of it to begin with, and then whisk that into the roux. You want to do that to avoid uh, creating lumps. Because if you pour it all in there, you'll have little balls of flour and, and butter that just kind of ball up and you don't want that. You want the sauce to be nice and smooth and velvety. Um, so you bit by bit, you work your milk in uh, until it's all incorporated. Uh, again, you don't want to go above medium heat because a roux will never be at its full thickening power until it until it comes to now that well, I was always taught I need to bring it to a boil. But that's kind of a, a dangerous move. I think I think, you know, it, from a from an actual physics physics standpoint, I think it's it, thickening happens with a, a roux at about 195 degrees or 200 degrees, not a full boil. But if you bring a, a roux-based sauce to a boil, it's going to burn the roux, and then you're going to scorch your sauce, and then you'll have to start over. Um, so if I'm doing any kind of roux-based sauce, I never let it get above medium heat. I let it go nice and slow, bring it up nice and slow. Once it's at its full thickening power, you'll adjust your seasoning with salt and a tiny, tiny bit of nutmeg. You can use white pepper as well. If you're, I'm not a fan of white pepper, but um, you can use it to help season it, and that's it. So that's your base sort of bechamel, and then... What you want to do is keep that medium heat going uh, and whatever cheese you want to use, uh, you can. Um, at least for me, um, and this is going to sound a little weird, uh, one of the best cheeses for a cheese sauce is American cheese. 100%, Tom. Because it, it melts really nicely. It's designed to melt. Um, and I, I'm not, I, I can't think of what the name of that, the, 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 there's something in American cheese that allows it to be melty, but still kind of hold its shape. Mm. Um, but you know, it's, it's a good melting cheese. It works in there. I, I you, you don't want to make a completely 100% American cheese sauce. Well, I guess you could. Um, but you want some, I, I use a little bit of it in there just to help kind of stabilize the sauce. Mm -hmm. And then you use whatever cheese you want. Cheddar's mm -hmm. great. Swiss is great. Monterey Jack is great. Um, any drier cheese you have to be a little careful with. Like if you want to do Parmesan, uh, you can use Parmesan or Pecorino Romano or something like that. But yeah, any cheese. I think cheese will just about work, and you want to make sure that you and you work it in very slowly. Don't put all your cheese in at once because then you'll have a big, you know, wad of cheese in there that won't break up and won't melt correctly, and you know, it just it just gets it's slowly working it in. Making sauce, especially roux-based sauces, is, is a little bit of a labor of love. You want to go mm -hmm. nice and slow. You don't want to. You really can't rush, you know, a bechamel or a cheese sauce because no. you will end up something will end up always invariably ends up going wrong. And roux-based sauces sense fear. They do, and if you're <laughs> if you're af if you're afraid, it it will go it will turn on you without even telling you. Uh, yeah, it you're will. If you add, here's some tips that I just know, and that that was beautiful. Thank you, Tom. But uh, here's some tips that I know just as a layperson, and I don't measure anymore. I just do because I've been doing it since I was a kid. Uh, if you add too much flour, you get a nice bread in the bottom of your pan. Yeah, it'll yeah. turn into this thick. It'll just thicken like boom. And then it'll be too thick. It won't be a sauce anymore. And guess what? There's no turning back. You can't just add more cream or whatever and, and fix that up. Um, another thing is 
a heat disperser can be very helpful when making yep. uh, cheese sauces. Uh, so consider buying one of those if you want to, you know, stop end your loneliness by heat disperser, a saucepan and the ingredients that Tom just listed and, uh, and go for it. That's what I say. Like just go for cheese sauces because man, they make everything better. Everything broccoli, a baked potato, uh, some fried chicken, you know, you name it, drizzle a little cheese sauce on there. And it's awesome. And in fact, today, Tom, I had some odds and ends around the house. So I boiled up some pasta that I had just a little bit left. And then with the hot pasta, I broke up some American cheese slices and stirred them in, grated in some Parmesan, a little bit of half and half. I didn't make a sauce. I just was stirring this into the pasta. And then I had some leftover salami and stuff that I fried up in a pan, and I chopped that up and put that in there too. And I deglazed the pan. This is one thing I love to do. And uh, a little bit of sherry deglazed the pan and poured the deglaze in there too. And it was quite delicious with American cheese, you know? Everybody knocks American cheese, man. American cheese is it has it, there are some use there are some places where American cheese is the obvious number one choice if you're looking for cheese. It, I mean, and I agree. You know, and we, I mean, I know here at least in our place we use a ton of it. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, I'm very patriotic when it comes to cheese, Tom. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. You know, it was created in, you know, American cheese was great. It was developed in Canada. Is that right? I didn't know that. All right. I'll have to do some research on that. And then we can delve into that a little deeper. We can have a whole segment next time just on American cheese. But Tom, thank you for imparting your sauce knowledge to us. Please uh, think of the next sauce that might be easy for people to make at home. Because I feel like, yeah, you might never be lonely again if you make a good cheese sauce. But imagine the parties, the social life, the fun the friends that you might have if you had a variety of sauces under your belt. If you had a so a whole sauce repertoire, you'd have hundreds of friends. That's right. You'd never run out of things to do or people to talk mm -hmm. to. But Tom, um, let's take a little break to uh, to get here from Mana Food Bank. And then when we come back, let's uh, talk about Colonel Sanders. Like the, the fried chicken guy? The fried chicken guy, Colonel Harlan Sanders. I listened to a like a two and a half hour podcast about Harlan Sanders, and he's quite a character. And I've got some some specific things to talk about Harlan Sanders with you about. So let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk fried chicken. All right, let's do it. Folks, I just want to remind you that Western North Carolina is one of the hunger hotspots of America. Although we might think of Asheville as Food City, USA. There are a lot of folks who live in and around here who are dealing with food insecurity on a daily basis. So if you can, please give to Mana Food Bank. Mana has been providing food to the people of Western North Carolina for 40 years. They do a great job and they are a wonderful organization. So again, if you're able, please go to manafoodbank.org. That's M-A-N-N-A, manafoodbank.org, and give what you can to help out fighting hunger here in Western North Carolina. And now back to the show. 
Yes, folks, please give to Mana Food Bank if you are able. I know that not everybody can give to charity, but if you can, consider Mana Food Bank. They do wonderful things. For every dollar you donate, Mana can provide up to four meals for a child, a senior, or anyone, really, who's struggling to put food on the table. Yeah, they do great things, Tom. And now, Tom, as mentioned, I want to talk about Colonel Sanders. Uh, and uh, first of all, since I had to write his name down a bunch of times in this script, who came up with the spelling of the word Colonel? It is impossible to remember how to spell, for me to remember how to spell Colonel. Uh, C-O-L-O-N-E-L spells Colonel. Tom, explain this to me. So when you sent me the notes for today, I actually looked that up. I, I did my own research. Okay. It is, it is originally an Italian word. Uh, and it was meant, uh, the meaning was, uh, it was a, 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 a leader of a, a military regiment or a leader of soldiers. That's the sort of the, um, that's the, the basic definition of it. Now the French took the word, or they, it said, it said that they borrowed the word, okay. um, and changed the L to an R. So it would be, it would be Coronel. Coronel. Okay. Yeah. But now, but the Italians left the L in. But pronounced it with the R, so that's why you have the word today has the L in there, but you still pronounce it with an R. It's not like a popcorn kernel; it's a military kernel. Yeah, and and I'm sure that the English pronunciation and spelling has something to do with the fact that the king king of England was French for a long time, and so confusing. And to boot, uh, Colonel Sanders wasn't even a real colonel like in the military. It's an honorary title that uh, if you're a, a good person in the state of Kentucky, the governor of Kentucky can bestow a colonelship upon you, Tom. Did you know that? Like a, like a knighthood in, in England? Exactly. Yes, exactly like that. Uh, so I'm going to go for it. I might have to spend some time living in Kentucky in my later years, but Colonel Stu Parker. Yeah, Colonel, uh, uh, Colonel, Colonel Stu, Stu Parker. Elvis. I like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like Colonel Parker, uh, Elvis's uh, manager. Was that right? Uh, he was <laughs> a Kentucky Colonel and Colonel Sanders, who was actually born in like Indiana or something, uh, but lived most of his life in Kentucky. Got that uh, title bestowed upon him. Um, but here's the thing I really want to talk about. Did did you know, and Tom, I know that you know because you read the, the little uh, guidelines that I sent you, but did you know well, that I, Colonel... I, you, I mean, you told me, but I still don't know. You still don't know. Okay. Colonel Sanders owned a hotel here in Asheville for about three years. Uh, I did not know that. I learned that from the podcast. The podcast, by the way, is by a comedian named Dan Cummins, and his podcast is called Time Suck, and he's done hundreds of them. And they're two hours long, at least. They're long format podcasts. He picks a subject, uh, anything from, you know, Colonel Sanders to uh, Waco to Mormonism. Uh, I've learned so much from listening to this guy's podcast. He's really funny. He swears like a sailor. He gets all excited and hoots and hollers about topics. Um, so I recommend everybody check out the Time Suck podcast. And I learned so much about Colonel Sanders and most interestingly, Dan kind of glossed over it. He did own his his second motor court. The first one was famously in Corbin, Kentucky, where the museum now is. The second one was here in Asheville, North Carolina, Tom. No kidding. That no kidding. where where in Asheville was? Well, up on it's actually in Woodfin, and it's still there. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it really? Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And let's uh first. Let, let's talk about that 
in a little bit the the motor court and how it's still there and all of that. But first, let's talk about Kentucky Fried Chicken. Did you grow up eating Kentucky <laughs> Fried Chicken, Tom? I sure did. I did. I, I did not. Did it it not. wasn't the no. I mean, growing growing up, you know, where I grew up, we really, we really didn't have a lot of, you know, it was the standard, you know, fast food around the you know, McDonald's, Burger King, things like that. But we really didn't have. There definitely weren't any Bojangles where I grew up. Oh, me um, neither. No, no know, Bojangles. And, and def, and I, I, I don't think I can remember actually seeing a Kentucky Fried Chicken around where I lived, um, in New Jersey. So, we did have a fried chicken place. We did have a fried chicken place. It was called Mister B's, uh, and it was a it was a honey dip fried chicken place that's mm. no longer with us. But I, I miss it. Yeah, I bet, man. When I was growing up in, in a tiny little town in Massachusetts. Uh, there was a fried chicken place called Charlie's Chicken Chuckles, and it was great, man. You'd drive up, and they'd hook a tray on your car and stuff like that, and the chicken chuckles would come with honey. They were like the predecessor to the McDonald's chicken nuggets. Like, McNuggets did not exist, even though McDonald's did, and we would make this special trip, and we'd go also go to the A&W Root Beer. Very nostalgic times back then. Um sure. And we did have, a, I, I guess I should consider us lucky because we lived up there in Massachusetts, but we did have a Kentucky Fried Chicken and it was a real special treat. Like when when it was Kentucky Fried Chicken night, which wasn't very often because uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money and stuff. So we ate at home most of the time and we would get the bucket and we'd bring it home and we'd feast out. And I love the mashed taters. I love the rolls and stuff. And I just love the chicken, the breast meat, most of all, or almost exclusively. And the the coating just fantastic, and I haven't the, eaten the, the neon orange macaroni and cheese. Uh, it's not too orange; it's kind of yellowy. But the the mac and cheese is yeah, that wasn't actually my favorite because it wasn't like the stuff that came out of the box. I was very particular as a child, right? Mm -hmm. I loved it out of the box. So like the one from KFC. That's funny that you bring that up. I didn't even think of that. Even though I love mac and cheese, I rejected that because it wasn't like craft, <laughs> right? Um, and Tom, I, I haven't eaten at KFC in I don't even know how long, like since I was a teenager maybe. Or no, I ate there once when I was in my 30s. Uh, I was in Corbin, Kentucky, so I ate at the OG. Um, and it wasn't as good as I remembered it, I have to mm -hmm. say that, yeah. Um, it was kind of like one time I went to a Sonic and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Uh, it wasn't that great. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have very nostalgic thoughts about KFC and, and hearing all about Colonel Sanders and his journey made me want to go eat some. So I might go try some more someday soon and I'll, I'll check in with everybody to let you know about that. But here's here's some things about Colonel Sanders, um, Tom. First of all, he was a rootin' tootin' rough and tough guy. He had many jobs during his lifetime. He didn't strike success. This is this is one thing about him. He, he's a great story for anybody who has maybe tried and failed at a couple of things. Keep trying, because uh, Colonel Sanders didn't become successful until he was in his 60s, really. Really? Um, yeah, he tried a bunch of different stuff. For one thing, he was, uh, he, in the when he was a little boy, his dad died. He was five years old and he had to, his mom had to go get a job in another town and would be gone like overnight and stuff. And he was the oldest of his siblings at five. He was in charge of feeding them. And this is when he learned how to cook. And he was in charge of sort of taking care of the house at five years old, Tom. What were you doing at five years old? Not that. 
No. I was playing with Legos. Yeah. Yeah. I was playing with Legos. Uh, If that. I was probably playing with Tinker Toys. That's unbelievable. So that's the thirties, uh, or the, that would be the early part of the century. The, this, the turn of the century was a rough time. Not like everybody was uh, not not everybody was a robber baron. Let's put it that way. People were struggling to survive. Colonel Sanders among them. And uh, by the time he was thirteen, he had a, a job as a farmhand. And then by the time he was fourteen, he was working on the railroad. Uh, by the time he was sixteen, he lied about his age so that he could join the army. And he went to. <laughs> He went to fight in Cuba. Uh, this is something not a lot of people remember, but the USA had a war against Cuba. And uh, it was called something crazy imperialistic type of term. I forget what, like the the correction of Cuba or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, and then after being honorably discharged, not as a colonel, of course, but as a uh, enlisted man, um, he uh he would go on to become a lawyer, an insurance salesman, a railroad worker. He became an acetylene lamp manufacturer, Tom. And when the light bulb was invented, out of business. He went out of business. <laughs> yeah, he didn't he didn't think that the light bulb was ever going to catch on. I guess so. He went for acetylene, um, and then uh, he was he owned a steamboat ferry. Uh, which is a nice little diversion. And then he was a gas station owner, a politician, a tire salesman. And Tom, most of those jobs ended in failure and a fair number of them ended in fistfights. He was, uh, he didn't take no crap from nobody. And when he was- sound like he does. No, he was a tough guy, uh, very much so. And and the uh, when he was a lawyer, his career ended because he punched his client in the face in court during a trial. <laughs> his client. I like this guy. Yeah, right. You start to love it more and more. And um, and his his career as a gas station owner was pretty successful, uh, marred only by a gunfight. Tom. I mean, sure, that makes sense. That tracks. Yeah, he he. It was the wild and woolly days of capitalism, you know. And he he started painting signs on the side of walls and stuff to tell people to come to his gas station. And the rival gas station owner didn't like that much, so he started painting over the signs. And uh, and uh, Colonel Sanders gathered up a posse of other Shell gas station owners, and they were going to go <laughs> take care of this other guy who didn't own a Shell. And uh, and when they approached him. He pulled a gun and a shootout broke out and Colonel Sanders shot this guy. (laughs) The American dream. It's it's the story of America. Yeah. And the guy, the rival, he shot one of Colonel Sanders posse and killed him, unfortunately. So not all fun and games. And, uh, and that guy, the rival went to jail for life. I think either that or he got the, got the chair. I'm not sure what that outcome was but colonel sanders off the hook scot-free even though he shot the guy in the arm or the leg because the other guy in his posse also shot the guy and he was shot the in arm the arm or the, or the leg, leg. Yeah. yeah and the uh arm or the leg yeah yeah and so yeah colonel sanders uh kind of a interesting character i would have to say tom he he's easily fired up he, he was he was a go-getter he was. He was fiery. I like that because it kind of it's a, food, a foodie kind of term. He, he he himself was deep fried, I guess, to perfection. <laughs> so um, <something> fried. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the 
Asheville was the second place that ever tasted his secret recipe. Uh, oh, that's, that's crazy. No kidding. Second place ever. Now, he had been serving fried chicken here and there and had tried to make a go of it with a, a chain before he even opened the hotel here in Asheville. And the chain actually failed. And he wasn't doing the exact same fried chicken that he got famous for. So during the time that he had the hotel here in Asheville, he developed that secret recipe and Asheville was literally the second place to ever try it. Sometimes people will argue we were the first because he was going back and forth between Corbin and Asheville. Um, and he opened that uh, motor court up. It was called the, the Sanders Motor Court. It was before he was a colonel. And he ran it until World War II. And then gasoline rationing kind of put the kibosh on tourism, Tom. So what this goes around terrible timing. Oh, bad luck for this guy, right? His timing is terrible. Yeah. And again and again and again, his story has things like that. And then a highway was diverted and his other hotel went out of business, you know, like oh. all kinds of setbacks, which makes it such a great story because, of course, he's the world-famous Colonel Sanders, uh, worshipped as a god all over the globe and uh, makes fantastic fried chicken uh, portrayed nowadays by he's passed away, of course, and portrayed by many actors from Norm MacDonald to Reba McIntyre have played um, Colonel Sanders on television. Uh, and so, yeah, a very uh, interesting story of triumph after so many failures and setbacks and many of them of his own making taking a swing at your client in court will probably end your your law career yeah that's not going to help no and by the way he did not go to law school that that that's not required <laughs> so he was a lawyer without going to law school you betcha um, now the the cafe that he opened over there in corbin was open every day of the year except for christmas i love that you know i'm an hours queen i love extended hours it's the best thing on earth when you can count on a place being there for you, it's just pure comfort in your heart. And uh, and did you know that Duncan Hines was a person? <laughs> I didn't know that. That I did know. I did okay. know that was an actual person. Okay. So he was a Southern gentleman and a chef and a bon vivant, I guess. And, and he had a book of recommendations. And he recommended Colonel Sanders' uh, first motor court in Corbin. And he said about it that it was a, quote, very good place to stop en route to Cumberland Falls and the Great Smokies. Continuous 24-hour service. Wow. Talk, talk about hours. Uh, sizzling steaks, fried chicken, country ham, hot biscuits, lunch, 50 cents to a dollar, dinner, 60 cents to a dollar. Gotta love those prices, Tom. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I wish somebody around here would do that, but that's not Tom, is Twisted Laurel going to go ahead and offer a 50-cent lunch? What would it be? Uh, one of your chips? We are not. We are not, yeah. You could put, you could take two of your house-made potato chips and, I don't know, put a pickle in between them and be like, here's the 50-cent lunch. <laughs> this is a 50-center. Yeah. But th those were different times, of course. And back then, 50 cents equaled uh, $200, and a dollar was close to a million dollars. So those were actually very high prices, Tom. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. Um, and the, the last little piece of info I want to tell you about Colonel Sanders' restaurant here in Asheville is that it did burn, 80% of it burned to the ground. And uh, the kitchen burned off and the restaurant is gone, never to come back. And that happened in the 50s. 
he sold it by the way in 1942 so he owned it for three years or actually he he stopped he closed the hotel in 42 somebody bought it in 48 so big gap there and uh and then it was run by a family until the 70s it did like i said burn down in the 50s and they rebuilt a lot of it it's still around to this day it is an apartment complex and it is called sander court the s fell off of the sanders one day <laughs> and they never put it back tom and that's how it's listed on maps and Google around here now. And you can take a look at it on Google. There's a few articles about the Sander Court in Woodfin, originally owned by Harlan Sanders, the rootin' tootin' shootin' chicken guy. And uh, nice little piece of food history here in Asheville, I think. Who knew? Who knew, Tom? Now, does that make you want to run out and get some Kentucky Fried Chicken? Not particularly, but I mean, <laughs> I like stories. Stories are fun. Uh, yeah, no, 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 it's, it's knowledge is power. And, and the more, you know, you know, the, the better stop, you can be. So stop. You're killing me. Saying. You're killing me. No, I mean, it's, it's a super, I mean, it obviously was enough of a story that someone did a two hour podcast. For you to to. Oh yeah. I condensed this thing like a MF or man, there was <laughs> so much background on Harlan. Like, I mean, one thing I learned is that, you know, and, and maybe you have this in your subconscious, but many people think that Harlan, uh, the colonel, was racist. And there was even a rumor that he was a member of the KKK. Now, it's pretty serious business to be a member of the KKK. So that was actually investigated. Uh, and that turned out not to be true, a complete rumor. Uh, now, the rumors that he was was racist uh, were kind of started, according to the podcast, the Time Suck podcast, were started by Papa John. Now, Papa John... The pizza guy, Papa John? Yeah. Now, he's a well-known D-bag. Like, nobody liked Papa John. He he got kicked out of his own company, didn't he? Um, he did. And part of why he got kicked out of his company was for dropping N-bombs, not just in his personal dialogue or text to his friends, but in meetings and stuff, Tom. So when he got caught doing that, according to the Time Suck podcast that I listened to, he then threw Colonel Sanders under the bus and said, well, nobody complained about it when the colonel was dropping N-bombs. And that, you know, prompted a lot of Internet sleuths to try to find any evidence or any person who would say or corroborate that Colonel Sanders regularly used the N-word or ever used the N-word. And there was absolutely no evidence of that. So I think that that was kind of a good thing for me to learn because I was one of those people who had heard those rumors and had kind of internalized them a little bit uh, or not just a little bit, but had internalized them. So rumors are a terrible thing, Tom. Rumors are a terrible thing. Yeah. All right, man, let's take a little break. Let's hear a little bit of our theme song, Tom. And I just called it our theme song. How do you like that? I appreciate that, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, it's our theme song, Cheese Wagon. We're going to imagine that this song, <laughs> which is so smooth, it's made with American cheese. And then when it we is. come back, we'll do a real quick Where'd You Eat, and then we'll uh, then we'll call it. Uh, actually, Tom, I don't think we have time to do Where'd You Eat. Why don't we just wrap it up right now, brother? I just took a glance at the clock, and uh, I didn't tell you, but the pizza guy stopped by earlier, and he ate up five minutes of our time. So you're going to have to cut it short right here. Yeah, pizza guy. I know. And he didn't even bring you any. I mean, I'll, I'll get over that. I'm not worried. 
All right, Tom. Well, thanks for uh, being on the show again. You're a wonderful co-host. And everybody, go check out Tom at Twisted Laurel Downtown Asheville. He's my Chef of the Year winner at my Restaurant of the Year. Uh, he's made my Burger of the Year in two different categories. I invented a category just to hand him the Best Hunks of Meat Award. He's up for a few awards this year. Those will be announced uh, very soon, Tom. Uh, and uh, and thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for having me again, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. And uh, thank you, every. Oh, listen to me. Okay. Uh, th thanks again, Tom. A very heartfelt thank you. Um, and thank you, WPBM 103.7 FM, for taking my humble podcast and turning it into a radio podcast broadcast. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, please follow me on social media. I am Stu Helm Food Fan on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Substack. And folks, if you eat something good, by all means, let me know about it. Bye. We'll